Hello and welcome to the Hume podcast, where we sit down with people from our community and discuss what makes Oldham Hume Grammar School the special place that it is. Alongside our teaching staff, students, alumni and parents, we discuss the topics that really matter to us and delve deep into the heart of our school. I'm Claire Brownlee, Director of External Relations, and today I'm talking to the incoming new head of the Hume Prep, Mrs Zoe Ward. Mrs Ward takes over as the new head in September and we thought listeners might appreciate a sneak preview. Welcome to Hume, Mrs Ward. Thank you very much. Thanks for inviting me. So your current role as deputy head at another independent school, you've been doing that for quite a while. So tell me, what attracted you to kind of jump the nest and and come to Hume? When I saw the job advert, it was actually my husband that put it in front of me because he thought I was uh, looking for a new challenge. But in all honesty, I was very happy where I am at my current place. And there was something about the job in uh, job advert that really piqued my interest. It was something different, a completely different sort of uh, role that I'm currently in. So I put it to one side, not really thinking, you know, I'm in, in the market for a new position. And there was just something about it at the back of my mind I just couldn't leave alone. I know a little bit or I knew a little bit about Oldham Hume, uh, not a vast amount, but the more I thought about it, the more intrigued I became and started doing research, started having a little bit of a look at the website. And the more I read, the more I kept thinking, this is the place for me. This is something I'm really interested in finding more about. So applied for the job. And within about 10 seconds of walking through the doors on my interview day, I totally fell in love with Oldham Hume. There's something really special about it. And you walk through those doors and you can't fail but to be impressed, both in terms of the students that I came across straight away, the staff that I met and the buildings and facilities. You know, it's a real, a really beautiful place. And standing on the car park seconds before walking through the door, I couldn't believe how lucky I could potentially be by being a member of staff here. And, you know, here we are. I would have suggested that maybe it was a sunny day when you came, but you're a Mancunian already. <laughs> so that <laughs> you already know that it's quite rainy, don't you? It wouldn't yeah, put you off. It definitely was not a sunny day, but the beauty of this place <laughs> shone through regardless. So, yeah, I think if uh, the weather put any of us off, we'd never go outside, would we really? So, uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's no bad weather, just the wrong clothing. Exactly right. Exactly. So, You're taking over the headship at a time of huge change for the prep school. We're seeing a bringing together of the nursery and infants and the junior sections. And so you'll be responsible for the education and care of children from nursery right right up to year six. You're looking forward to the new challenges that will bring. I am so excited about having younger children in uh, my educational setting again. So I currently work with junior age children, so children from year three and above. And it's been quite a while, actually, since teaching in the younger age setting. However, I am a governor at my youngest daughter's school and very fortunate to have uh, a staff body there who welcome governors in. So I've been in quite a few times and I absolutely love spending time in nursery, reception and year one and two to... and 
remind myself where the children come from. So education doesn't just start when they turn seven going into year three, that actually all the groundwork and foundation level learning goes on in a magical kind of way to really facilitate the opening of the minds of our youngest children. So to be part of that and to experience and go on a journey with those younger children from when they start with us from being two and a half years old, right the way through to being 11 and moving into the senior school being 18, that's a real privilege for me. And I just can't wait to be part of that journey for those children and I'm sure the children and, and parents also can't wait to kind of have you on board in September there's a lot of excitement around it and I know we had our um, open day for the younger sections um, on Saturday and I had the pleasure of pulling together or helping to work on the the brochure that parents took away with them and one of the things that you talked about in your foreword in that in that brochure and that prospectus was about having pride in the high quality modern education that's underpinned by traditional values uh, that that's talked about at Hume. What does that really mean to you? And and also as a secondary question, what what can you share? Can you share a bit more about what your vision might be <laughs> for Hume for two to five years? I know it's not the easiest question, given that you've not actually stepped through the door officially <laughs> yet. Um, but let's take the first bit. What does what does that description of of that modern education with traditional values mean to you? So it's all about offering the very best education to all of our children that meet all of their needs, both in terms of academic and pastoral, but also the co-curricular side of life. So it's about educating the whole child because their strengths and interests can lie in different fields. So to me, offering the a modern education is about the use of technology and how that equips our children for their future jobs. Many of the children will go on to do jobs that haven't even been created yet because the technology moves so quickly. It's about also covering the exciting parts of the curriculum and making sure that we pay attention to children who are really keen uh, artists, children who are particularly very sporty, children who have an interest in drama and speaking and listening alongside all those core subjects of your English, your maths and science. It's really very important at Hume that we cater for the needs of those children by making sure our curriculum is vibrant and promotes independence and enables those children to broaden their skill set whilst also being fortunate enough to have smaller class sizes so that we get to know our children on a very personal level and what makes them tick and what their interests are and knowing that means that you can look after them both in a pastoral sense but also you know open avenues for them that they may not have even considered for themselves breaking down those barriers of I can't do this or girls don't do this or boys don't do that is exceptionally important. And I think in terms of pastoral, that's something that I know that Oldham Hume already do very well. It's something I'm very keen to build on when I start here. The smaller class sizes, I think, you know, are a real benefit to Oldham Hume in terms of fostering that family feel. The children and the staff get to know each other very, very well. And that means that each individual's needs are fully catered for. And you get that sense of there's no glass ceiling here at Oldham Hume. Everything is possible. And it is our job as educators and children who 
are taking care of these children between the hours of nine and 3.45 to really make sure that we offer them every possible opportunity to fulfill that potential, whatever that might be. And I mean, that obviously sounds like a brilliant opportunity for any child that's actually through the door, but nowhere's perfect, is it? And I'm sure that you're coming along with a pair of fresh eyes and you're thinking, this bit's absolutely fantastic. I'd love to change that bit. What's your vision for going forward for the next two to five years? Because you've got this opportunity to shape it, given the changes, it provides this opportunity to make some pretty interesting changes, I suspect. So what's in your mind? Can you give us a sneak peek? A Are you sneak peek. So... One of the first things that will need to be considered is that the infants, nursery and infant school has been run a bit more independently to the prep school. So it's really important that those schools are united and pulled together. There is an awful lot of excellent practice that happens within the walls of those two different schools. And being over a split site with three buildings can be quite tricky. So trying to navigate our way around being more collaborative and that's not just in terms of staff but in terms of the children and ensuring that they all have shared opportunities together is very very important so we'll be looking at ways to overcome the the physical uh, boundaries that happen within the prep school in terms of change I think there'll be quite a few physical changes that or cosmetic changes I'd put that actually that will happen hopefully over the summer before September we're looking to improve some of the facilities that they have and opportunities they have so we're looking at things like libraries for example going into the buildings and enhancing the playground you know the settings are beautiful but one of the things that came across really clearly when I spoke to the children on my interview day was they want more from their playgrounds they want an active playground something they can do whilst they're outside so we'll be looking at different ways to make that possible for them because People voice is very, very strong. It's something I believe in listening to really carefully. And so they were telling me that they want climbing frames, for example. And that's something we're going to look into because everything is possible. You've talked about the um, pupil voice there, which, of course, is is absolutely paramount because, you know, they're the primary customers in a sense. If they're happy, they go home and tell their parents that they're happy. Uh, what do you think parents find at Hume Prep that they just they can't get elsewhere and it might not be you know each individual thing it might be a combination of things and and that's that's what provides a unique opportunity for their children so what what do human parents find that they can't get elsewhere i think it goes back to that feeling that i talked about before when you walk through the door there's something in the air here you know it's the essence of of pride and learning and you just get that sense of there's a real buzz in the air when you walk through those doors and that's something that can't be faked that is something very genuine very authentic and when you start walking around the buildings and listening into what's going on the atmosphere is such a pleasant place to be the children are all engaged they're all really keen to learn and that's a real opportunity for staff you know sometimes the battle with children's learning is that you have to enable them to learn by dampening down other things but actually here they are all sitting ready to take on board whatever it is that you're going to do with them there's the philosophy of the education being 
that a challenge for all assume. And that to me is about giving them a well-rounded education for the whole child. So it's not just a purely academic education that they would receive here. It's about everything, like I talked before, about pastoral needs, co-curricular needs. But also I think that the school itself is really well-placed to take up lots of opportunities to use Oldham itself as a classroom. So you have these fantastic buildings, you have all these facilities and these grounds, but one of the things that we're going to look at is how to use Oldham itself as a place of learning for our children. That sense of pride about being from Oldham, being in Oldham is enormous. You feel it the second you walk in and walking round with some children showing me their buildings, they were so proud to be part of Oldham Hume. You could almost feel it. It was electric the way that they talked about their school and one of the children in particular has had brothers who had been through the prep and in the senior school and he talked about Hume as if it was a member of his personal family and that is what it is. You know, it's something that can't be faked. It's something that is genuine and to be part of that, like I said earlier, is a real privilege for every member of staff and that is the feeling you get just by spending time here. So I'm looking forward to open days of the future. I'm looking forward to taking prospective parents on tours because then they see what we see and encouraging our children to talk to people, talk to visitors about their education is very, very important to me that they are the best advocates for any school you know, staff can talk about it, but they're talking about it from a very different point of view. And, you know, like you said, happy children are happy parents. And I really want to try and bring both existing parents, but prospective parents in to see what it is that we see and that we are so proud to be part of. And you've the way you describe it there, it almost makes the untangible seem tangible, like you mm. could reach out and touch the culture or reach out and touch the feelings um, that the children convey when they speak about their Yeah, school. and also um, it's part of history, isn't it? You know, when you talk to people about Audrey Hume, they're very proud of the, the long-standing history of the school. And there's a lot to be learned from that. You know, being part of Audrey Hume today is very different for all the children than it was 20 years ago, 50 years ago, hundreds of years ago. And I think that's important to to visit at different times during the curriculum so that they have a sense of how they got here. So mm. what journey they go on personally, but also what journey the school's been on. And, you know, mm. not many schools can talk about such a rich, long history like this school can. Yeah. You sometimes forget, don't you, that children do think about and know about the history. And, and it just reminds me, a little boy came for a, a look round school. He was doing the assessment. And as we were coming down the corridor, he was with another member of staff. She conveyed the story. As they were going down the corridor, he said, is it true that this school's been here since 1611? Yeah. And he'd done his research. And <laughs> and it was kind of like, yes, it's been, not, not in this building, but the school's been in existence since 1611. And they they really it resonates with them it does it really does and it makes it you know seem even more important to them that they are a part of this school's history so in 50 years in 100 years time when the school is still standing they are part of that history and you know that's a really important 
part of their understanding of their education here, that they are in this moment in time very much part of the rich tapestry that children in a hundred years time will look back on how it used to be. Yeah, absolutely. So we've we've talked about that kind of intangible, tangible elements of the culture and you touched a little bit on the buildings and the environment and I I just wanted to explore that um, a little bit more. Tell me more about Forest School and how you felt when you, um, you know, presumably you had a little tour. I did, yes. In the outdoor elements as well. And, and what, what makes it so special and why is outdoor learning so important to, to a child's education at that age? So over in our forest school, in our nursery and infant department, the space that is available for the outdoor learning for our forest school is unbelievably impressive it's quite vast I've never seen something that size before and to have that on our doorstep so our children can actively engage with it at any moment of our choosing is such a gift outdoor learning provides hands-on practical skills-based learning that the curriculum doesn't provide for children and I think the more that society moves towards online living so gaming and online learning which absolutely has its place in life what we have to do is balance that against being outside with nature there's something about nature that connects you back into life I think and I believe that personally as well as also to do with my professional life and being outside can't be replicated easily inside a classroom getting children out and teaching them about nature and teaching them about how actually the planet is an incredible place, but also we have a responsibility to it, to treat it with respect. You know, that teaching isn't something that just comes naturally sometimes. And you've got to really reinforce those messages with children, you know, sustainability, uh, recycling, all of those kind of things that can be completely connected in through forest school. And giving them opportunities to explore their school, both inside buildings and outside buildings, is incredibly important. And just moving on to some of the teaching staff, obviously at, at primary school level, it's it's quite normal to have the same teacher mm-hmm. for teaching all subjects in whatever year that child happens to be in. But one of the things that we think parents are attracted to Hume for, we know children really enjoy, is that they're taught by specialists specialists in particular subjects who come over from uh, main school and down into the prep school and share their knowledge and enthusiasm for their particular subjects. Why do you think that's so important at at that level? There's lots of different reasons why it's important. It's brilliant in terms of transition. So as the children are getting older and thinking about their move into secondary school, you've got a group of teachers who then become very familiar to the children who are in year five and six in particular. So it means that as they move across into year seven, there are familiar faces to them. So should they be lost in the corridor? Should they be unsure and want to ask questions? And they recognise quite a few members of staff from their learning in the prep. But also it works the other way as well. So the senior school staff get to know our children and it means means that when they come into senior school they know quite a few of the children already which is a huge advantage so that transition works both ways but you can't ever under- underestimate the power of someone who is passionate and enthusiastic about their subject having 
children in a classroom taught by an art teacher, for example, who is a specialist in their field, that unlocks many more doors, for example, than it would be if it was me teaching art to them because art is not a strength of mine. So (laughs) having someone who understands that subject to its very, very core is very empowering for children and can enthuse and motivate them in another kind of way on top of that approach that they would get from their prep school staff. There's lots of opportunity to have different teaching styles as well when you have lots of different staff and they would use their high level of knowledge and skills to be able to draw out the best of our children in subjects that are potentially quite skill specific like art, PE, science, uh, DT for example and it adds to the skill set of the children really nicely. Excellent and let's take a bit of a step back um, and talk talk more about the kind of independent sector as a whole. Um, let's face it there are lots of good primary schools out there and tell me what you think the independent sector and a school like Hume provides that maybe you wouldn't get from a, uh, a state sector primary. What What's the kind of culture or extras or added glitter or stardust that you might find in the independent sector? So there's an awful lot of fantastic practice that goes on in state schools and I think it's really important that staff in independence still keep abreast of what's going on in state schools so that we can learn from that and we can then adapt it to whatever the needs of our schools are in the independent sector. But for me an independent education offers a lot of opportunity for children to excel in different areas that they may not have come across in um, schools that are confined by the national curriculum, for example. And because we aren't, it enables us to be freer and more creative with our curriculum and time, which means that we can spend more time in our forest school, for example. We can spend more time in our library or investigating things without that time pressure ticking over us the whole time. Because, again, we don't take key stage two sats for example we don't do the 11 plus so being given that time that you would take prepping for things like that is a real selling point I think of independent education on top of that you've got all the trips that are offered the visits to different places the experiences that you bring into school which having that time and also having the the resource to be able to pay for things like that within your school budget adds that extra sparkle, that extra glitter. And quite often when you ask children about what they remember about their time uh, in school, particularly the younger years, it's those things that they really remember because they really do have an impression on them as learners. Um, Not to say that the rest of it didn't matter, but I think back to my education and the things that really stand out for me are those moments that made me think, wow, And that is what you seek in an independent education, I think. The opportunity to provide children with those moments that makes such an impression on them, it helps shape them as individuals. You mentioned meeting some of the children. And as part of your recruitment process, you got to lead a lesson, or I got to, you had to lead a lesson. (laughs) (laughs) How did that go? (laughs) It was great. Um, I taught in year four. And the class were very engaged, very enthusiastic, really keen to learn. And that, as any teacher walking in, is such a great foundation to build on. I did something that involves some sound and 
the quiet that fell in the room whilst listening to that, you know, they just keyed into it straight away. And I don't think that that is just testament to those particular children. I think that's the attitude with which a lot of the children learn at Hume. And that's quite exciting, actually, to to know that that is what already exists within the walls of PrEP. But actually... I met children in various forms. So I met the children on my tour who were incredibly warm and welcoming and very funny and personable. And I also, which I think was the toughest part of the day, to be honest, uh, was put in front of a children's panel where they got to ask lots and lots and lots of questions. And there is nothing more terrifying than being interrogated by a group of children. (laughs) So that was a real a really exciting experience to be part of because the questions that they were asking were really drilling down into who I am, not just as a teacher, but who I am as a person. And, you know, being able to talk to children as an individual rather than a a teacher was really quite liberating, actually, because a lot of children think that teachers are teachers and that they don't actually have lives of their own outside. So, um, I gave a little bit away about who I am and what my interests are and said, you know, this doesn't leave this room, children. <laughs> so that there's still a bit of a mystique about me. Um, but yeah, it was it was great fun, actually, being able to talk to a cross section of the children. And I seized the opportunity at that stage to ask them uh, what they thought about Hume. And again, that pride comes across Um the, the enjoyment really of day-to-day learning came across. And when I asked them, you know, what what is it that you might change? The playground was the thing that they all talked about. So I thought to myself, right, okay, if I'm successful here, that is absolutely something that will will be granted to those children because it's what they were all asking for. <laughs> children, in my experience, children definitely ask the most honest and the most challenging questions. My favourite one ever, and I hope you never get it, so you might want to do a bit of research on this, <laughs> was um, how many peas can you fit in the sun? <laughs> so quick Google and uh, have a little look and, and maybe, I'll, maybe I'll drop that question in for your first, uh, first session with the children when you arrive in September. <laughs> I think the key to being a, a good primary school teacher is be able to, to say something with confidence and convince everyone to believe it. So... I'll I'll uh, I'll look that up. <laughs> <laughs> and you you've touched on telling the children a little bit about your personal life. So it would be remiss of me not to not to, you know, ask a couple of get to know you questions. Um what made you want to become a primary school teacher? Right. Apart from the questions about peas and the sun, of course. <laughs> well, obviously I need to know how many peas can fit into the sun. Um And I'm still on that quest, obviously. So (laughs) when I was really, really little, I really wanted to be a school dinner lady. That was that was my dream, because, again, the the school I went to, the dinner ladies were just lovely, really supportive, really kind people. And you do set your sights on people that make an impression. And that was my school dinner lady. Coupled with the fact that, you know, at a young age, holding that spoon at the end of the dinner table and serving everyone is a real position of power. So I also knew at that age, it must have been only about five or six, that, you know, I wanted a job that gave me some form of power, but also in an educational setting. So that was the beginning of beginning of my journey. But I think one of the moments when I look back now and thought, yes, I was destined to be a teacher really was 
probably when I was about eight or nine years old and I was at home playing teachers with my teddy bears and my sister who's a few years older than me had this beautiful collection of Beatrix Potter books one of those ones that came in a box that all the spines created an image and she was really proud of these books so one day I decided that I was going to teach my class all about Beatrix Potter and set them some work and took these books in from them at the end of the session and decided I was going to mark their work and took a pen to the inside of these books, correcting their spellings and, you know, marking and giving them feedback, which obviously is very important to these teddies. And when that was discovered, there was um, quite a few discussions about how that was the wrong thing to do. But my take home from that was, yes, no, I know that, but those teddies needed that feedback and they needed me to comment on the quality of their written work. And there was no going back from that then really. And looking back, it makes me chuckle really that that feeling never really left me. But when I decided what to do for my A-levels, I really enjoyed languages. So uh, doing Spanish and French for my A-level was basically an extension of something I was passionate about. And sort of drifted away from the idea of being a teacher at that point and I think at 16, 17 I didn't really have a clear idea of what to want to do so I just did what made me happy and that was language learning and then when it came to having to make a decision about uh, about university that was quite daunting for me because I didn't know what those subjects would potentially lead me to so just decided to do a law degree and because again I quite like the cut and thrust of debate and It intrigued me really uh, about, you know, law and order and how the country was run. So I decided that that was my best option. Did a law degree at Liverpool University and pretty quickly into my second year thought, well, I'm going to have to make a decision here. Am I going to go down the, the avenue of being a lawyer? But it just didn't appeal to me. So I was walking to university one day and walked past the local primary school and thought, do you know what? I'm going to go in. And in I went, spoke to the lady in reception and said, you know, I'm really interested in doing some work experience or volunteering. Would you like me? And they bit my hand off and said, absolutely. How would you, how how do you fancy listening to some children read? And I used to fit that in for a couple of hours a week around my studies. And that was genuinely the bit about my studies, really the bit about my professional life at university that made me the happiest. Being around those children, listening to them read, you know, engaging with them was absolutely what ticked all those boxes and reignited that same feeling that I got all those years ago from those teddies and that Beatrix Potter set. And there was no looking back. Uh, Finished my degree, went traveling for a little bit and then thought, right, okay, it's time to grow up and be an adult, Zoe. So (laughs) decided to, to really go down that avenue, got myself on a PGCE course in Oxford um, trained down there. My first job was a, a wonderful primary school um, down in Kidlington in Oxford. And uh, my now husband and I lived there for uh, close to 10 years uh, before having the first of our two children and then realising that actually that old adage of it takes a, a village to raise a child really is very true. So moved back up to the northwest where where I'm obviously from and uh, joined the school that I'm now at and have been there for, for 12 years, 12 very happy years, actually. And now having uh, lived through COVID and what that did to schools and what that meant in terms of the challenges and things, I think I learned an awful lot from that period in time. And 
I couldn't be more ready now to, to strike out on my own and take on my first headship here at Oldham Hume. Well, it certainly sounds like uh, it was destiny, uh, <laughs> you know, they're kind of like just wandering. Pa- oh, pop in. I know. Pop in see, if they, <laughs> see if they want me. I know, chance <laughs> I mean, You arm. couldn't do that these days with all the security <laughs> on doors in schools, but uh, I'm glad that you did. And I'm glad they said they said yes, because we're excited that Hume's going to be the next step in your in your destiny. Yeah, I hope um, so. And we're looking forward to welcoming you here officially in September, although I know that you're here and connecting with people and spending some time so that's been brilliant that you've you, you can kind of squeeze us in with what must already be a super busy uh, role that you're doing currently it is but as I was coming here today I uh, I put my lanyard on that has uh, Oldham Hume written around it and I noticed that as I put it on I started to feel that sense of pride and you know that's might seem silly really but I'm very much invested in the future of Oldham Hume, whatever that might be. And, you know, uh, I speak to uh, Tony Alton quite regularly and he and I discuss that, you know, the sky is the limit as far as Oldham Hume is concerned. And really talking about that, that challenge for all educational philosophy. And I just can't wait to get started. I'm really looking forward to it. And so is the rest of the school. (laughs) Thank you for chatting with me today and good luck in September. Thank you very much. That's it for this episode and thank you for listening. To find out more, check out the school website ohgs.co.uk. Now, our next episode is coming out soon, but in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch and we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.